voice. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not, as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Strength for 
Has he been faithful to you? Some of you are saying amen, and some of you are about to find out how faithful he is. Last night we started with our week of prayer, and the Lord blessed. And we're so glad that you are here. Some of you are here again tonight. And some of you are here for the very first time. We even had some visitors walk in during special music, so we're going to have to hook them up with some, some free stuff here. But we're so glad you are here. Maybe somebody invited you, a family member or friend, but you need to know, was it them? Yeah, but it was someone bigger than them that brought you here. Someone much bigger. Jesus has brought you here because he has something huge that he wants to do in your life. So you being here is of no coincidence. So expect to hear the word of the Lord. Expect to feel God's presence because God is here right now. At this time, I'd like to invite Pastor Jay Rosario as he continues sharing with us from the Bible because that's the only word that counts. Pastor Jay, the time is yours. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Everybody's doing good except for me. Amen? <laughs> Let's try that again. 
Good evening. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just my little pulpit guy here that's kind of messed up. All right. Well, it is a privilege and a blessing to be here once again. Put this over here because I think it's heavier. How many of you were here last night? Raise your hand. I was here last night. That's for sure. Praise God. How many of you are here for the first time this week? Okay. How many of you are here for the first time ever? Oh, wow. We have, we have somebody here for the first time ever. Praise the Lord. Welcome. This week, we have an exciting week. It's uh, a week of prayer. And what is our theme? Does anybody know the theme? Fill me, our earnest plea. Last night, our message was entitled. Does anybody know what it was? Fill me, our earnest plea. Very original, right? Fill me, our earnest plea. And we discovered, we discovered actually quite a bit last night. We discovered that the Bible actually exposes three things that humanity fills themselves with. What were those three things? Empty knowledge, right? The east wind is what we, is what we discovered in the book of Job. What else? Ah, arguments against God. And what was the third thing? Intoxicating drink. We see how the old Hebrew poets actually saw far into the distant future, into the 2012 era, and they saw the nightlife of San Jose. Amen? Intoxicating drinks. So the Bible shows us that humanity is constantly filling themselves with the wrong things. And that's why we find ourselves empty. Amen? Many times we fill ourselves with things that have very, very low spiritual calories and that's why we find ourselves spiritually dehydrated spiritually malnourished and spiritually anorexic at times the purpose of this week of prayer is so that we can be healed from our anorexia amen and if you have come tonight and spiritually find yourself in a bulimic manner where you come to church you are filled but before you get to the car it comes right out Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, I pray that God may heal us from that spiritual disease. That was last night's presentation, and we discovered that not only does the Bible address the three things that we fill ourselves with, but it also shows us the four things that God wants to fill us with. What was the first thing? Anybody remember? The scroll. We saw that God told Ezekiel. He said, Ezekiel, are you hungry? Ezekiel said, yes. He says, okay, I have something for you. He says, this is the scroll. You guys ever eaten a scroll before? How many of you have eaten paper? Raise your hand. Be honest. I think a lot of us have eaten paper. How many of you have had a seven-layer burrito? Raise your hand. You ever had a seven-layer burrito in a car and it's very dark? And you're trying to unwrap it? And you're not quite sure what part is the tortilla and what part is the wrapper? <laughs> and you look at it and you swear that that's tortilla, but when you put your mouth in it, you're like, wait a second. This tastes like paper. Am I the only one? Come on, be honest with me. Okay. Ezekiel was told to eat paper. Amen? <laughs> if you've done that, don't worry. Ezekiel has done the same thing. But Ezekiel ate the scroll. Amen? And what was so special about the scroll? What did the scroll contain? It contained the word of life. So Ezekiel was told, Ezekiel, fill your stomach with the words of God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what God wants us to do to fill ourselves with the words of God. Why? Because the word of God finds there's a lot of spiritual calories in the word of God. 
It's not like Wonder Bread. Amen? You kind of wonder what's inside because it tastes like air. Amen? How many of you have had German bread? Raise your hand. German. I'm talking about authentic. We have one person here that has had German bread. German bread is hardcore. You have to chew that a lot, right? It's very dense. You could almost eat one slice of bread, one slice of German bread, and call it a meal. Okay? What one, what, what one slice of German bread is made up of is equal to an entire loaf of Wonder Bread. Amen? Actually, I'm being, I'm being conservative in what I just said. It's probably even one and a half. <laughs> I'm not sure. The point is that many of us, we fill ourselves with things that do not sustain us, okay? So that's the first thing God told us to do. He told us to fill ourselves with, the, with the, the scroll. What's the second thing that we were told that we need to fill ourselves with? The oil, yeah? God told Samuel, Samuel, stop mourning the death of Saul. I know that you were banking on that king, but he failed. I have a plan B, and this plan B is much better than plan A. Go to Jesse, and I have found a king. Grab your horn, fill your horn with oil, and go. And ladies and gentlemen, God is telling us the same thing. Maybe there is a Saul in your life that has died. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship that you were banking on. God says, why weepest thou? Stand to your feet. I have something else for you. I have a plan B. Grab your horn, fill it with oil, and go. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to go and find what the will of God is. What is the third thing that God told us to do? What do we need to fill ourselves with? Ah, God says, listen, if you want to have a life that is full of laughter, full of rejoicing, follow me. Young people, whoever told you that the Christian life is a life of boredom, a life of having a long face, dragging your feet to church. Somebody is lying to you. And we already shared a reference that Mrs. White says that we need more sunshiny Christians in this world. God wants to fill you with laughter. God wants to fill you with praise. And what was the last thing that we discovered from the writings of Paul? That God wants to fill us with joy and peace. Amen? Amen. Fill me our earnest plea. My prayer is that this week... All of those four different things that God wants to fill us with, he may actually fill us with. Tonight's message is a message that I really, really like. But then again, I like all the messages. Amen? This message is entitled, The Spirit and New Beginnings. The Spirit and New Beginnings. One of the things that we need to ask for is not really for a thing, but really for a person. And that person is the third member of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're not aware, there is an attack on the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? In theological and religious circles, many people are attacking and doubting the existence of the Holy Spirit. This week, we're going to affirm the existence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And we're going to show how the Holy Spirit is actually a relevant person in making your life from the difficulties that, it's, that you find yourself in into a life of success. That is the message for tonight, the spirit and new beginnings. But before we do so, what is the custom of, of our week of prayer? Is to pray. Amen? After all, it's called a week of prayer, so we must pray. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we come before you in the name of our Lord Jesus, 
asking you, Father, to cover us with his blood. Father, you tell us in the book of Psalms that if you would mark iniquity, who will stand? Father in heaven, cover us. We come before you not with justifications or with excuses. We come to you just as we are. And we're asking you, Father, to do something in our lives that we are incapable of doing for ourselves. Father, we pray that you may hide this preacher. We did not come to hear his words. We came to hear the words of Jesus. Hide me behind the cross. We would see Jesus. Bless us, Lord, and fill us with that beautiful presence and that sweet presence of Jesus and the sweet presence of your spirit. Help us, Father, to be able to be in tune in the right frequency of heaven's frequency. And help us, Father, hear your voice. This is my prayer because we ask it in Jesus' name. The spirit and new beginnings. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. There's only a few of us that made New Year's resolutions. Wow, the vast minority of us. So those of you that raise your hand, you know, if you're comfortable, what are some of the things that you included in your list of New Year's resolutions? Just shout it out. Just shout it out. Okay, sorry? Be Okay, amen. A real Christian, what else? Read your Bible more. Good. Anything else? To serve the Lord. Man, you guys are like good Christians. Amen. A lot of spiritual things going on. Yes? There's a hand. Higher ground. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. So that, these are good resolutions. Well, I, was a little, I guess I was a little bit more less religious than you all when I thought of my resolutions. Number one, one of my New Year's resolution was to work out. Amen. So I could be toned like Pastor Tony over here, <laughs> looking all good while he sings. Amen. So New Year's resolution. Why is it that we do New Year's resolutions? Anybody know? It's the beginning, right? You want to start in the beginning, but you want to be committed to something in the beginning. Now, let's be honest. How long do we stick to our New Year's resolutions? If we're lucky for a month, amen? And usually what happens when we break the trend, when we break the train, we get guilty, don't we? And then we look at our New Year's resolution in paper and we get more guilty, right? Because this is the standard that we know we just cannot reach and then we get more lazy and then we say, it's March, by the way, and we say, eh, I'll leave this for next year. <laughs> and it's only March, right? Now, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we, we do, not only in New Year's resolutions, but many, many times we make commitments. Why? Because we want to change. Amen? We want to see a change in our life. And ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing wrong with this. But let us not only make New Year's resolutions. Let us make daily resolutions. Because it's a lot easier to make a daily resolution than an, an annual resolution. Amen? So if you have already fallen short of your New Year's resolutions in the two weeks-ish that we are just getting into January, it's okay. Tonight could be the renewal of your resolutions. When you look at 2011, there are certain things that happened in 2011 that you wish you don't repeat in 2012. Amen? And that's part of the reason why we do New Year's resolutions, because we want the course of the new year to go slightly different than the course of last year. Yeah? 2011 was, for many, a difficult year. 
2011 was full of, full of different experiences of challenge, of discouragement, maybe a blessing here and there. The Bible teaches us something fascinating about the beginning. And it teaches us fascinating things about not only the beginning of a year or the beginning of a week, but it teaches us about the beginning of time. The Bible tells us about the beginning of time. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. What book are we going to? Genesis. Genesis. Now, Genesis should be the easiest book to find. Amen? Basically, you open the lid of your Bible in probably four or five pages. You pass the introduction and you get to the book of Genesis. Genesis is a fascinating book. First four letters of Genesis spell Gene. Not like Mr. Gene, but gene as genetics why because the book of genesis talks about the origin of man it's one of the most scientific and biological portions of all of scripture did you know that genesis tells us about the beginning it tells us about the foundation it tells us about the beginning of time and ladies and gentlemen the beginning is kind of that word the beginning is kind of very difficult to fully understand because we serve a god who has no beginning and yet he says, in the beginning. Well, when was that? Amen? And we're not talking about a baseball game. Amen? The big inning. We're not talking about the big inning. We're talking about the beginning. Amen? Genesis chapter 1. We're going to take it from the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first verse of the entire Bible does not seek to explain or prove the existence of God. It just proclaims that he's there. It tells us who the author of this whole thing is. And because he is creator, he is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. Genesis 1.1 is the text that gives meaning to every other text that is subsequent to Genesis 1.1. Because God is the creator, everything else falls into place. Genesis chapter 1, 1, but verse 2, it gets even more exciting. You ready for this? Because the concept of God, which, by the way, we're not fully going to understand with our puny little brains down here on earth. But the concept of God is a very broad, it's a very sublime, very profound teaching that we can barely just scratch the surface. In verse 2, the Bible talks about the condition of the earth in the beginning. Notice what it says. The earth was what? without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and it introduces another personality in verse 2. What is that personality in verse 2? The Spirit of God. What was he doing? He was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. Fascinating. The first two verses of the entire Bible talks about God. Now, we, of course, know that God is a unity of three beings. Amen? We don't have time to get into that theological subject because it's very rich. And by the way, we're going to be spending all of eternity learning about that. Amen? God is three, yet he's one. Can I fully explain it? I cannot. But one of the things that I can explain is this. The Bible tells us that God is love. Amen? Love is probably one of the most abused and adulterated word in the English dictionary. And yet the Bible tells us that God is love. How can 
we understand what love is. It is by looking at God. But why? Why? What is it about God that personifies what love is? Well, first of all, if God was a one-person being only, can God be love? I see confused faces. You're supposed to have confused faces. It's in my notes. Confused faces right here. Just kidding. If God is one, in other words, in order to have love, what must you also have? You must have an object where you are lavishing this love upon. Amen? It is impossible for God to be a one being entity to truly be love if he has no one to love. Amen? The Bible says that you have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. And it is fascinating because when you read in the New Testament, when Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does not say anything about himself. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, hi, my name is Mr. Holy Spirit. Um, I'm this tall. I graduated from this school. I have this amount of uh, degrees. I'm very good at this sport. The Holy Spirit speaks absolutely nothing about himself. In fact, Jesus says that the Spirit will exalt me and will guide and lead you into all truth. And ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells us that the truth is found in the Scriptures. So the Spirit of God speaks nothing of his own. He exalts God the Son. Jesus, when he was walking in Galilee, when he was ministering to the countless Thousands of people, he says, I can of my own self do nothing. I have come into this world for what? To glorify my Father. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus. Jesus ex exalts the Father. Each member of the Godhead humbles themselves and esteems the other better than himself. Ladies and gentlemen, that is love. That is the most sublime picture of love that you and I can have. That is the beauty of the Godhead, the beauty of the Trinity. I wish we could get into it more, but we can't because of our time. So the Bible tells us that all three, when you study Genesis chapter 1 carefully, you will discover that all three members of the Godhead were actively involved in the creation of the world and the creation of man. Last night we said, from the goo to the zoo, to you, is the popular opinion of the origin of man. The Bible speaks otherwise and says, no, if you had a price tag, it would say the blood of Jesus. And it, would, it wouldn't say made in China, although everything is made in China, amen? It would say made by the very hand of God. So, what are we saying? In the very beginning of Scripture, in the very beginning of time, you have the Spirit of God taking an active role in the creation of man and in the creation of the world. In the beginning of time. 
the Spirit must be present at every beginning. Amen? At the beginning of the year, the Spirit has to be present. Amen? At the beginning of your new task and office in the church. Amen? The Spirit of God better be there. In the beginning of your marriage. All right. The Spirit of God better be there. Because the Spirit of God is an innovative being that needs to be there right at the start of every commitment that is made. And if, if he is absent, they're simply empty promises. We're told in the spirit of prophecy that the promises of man are like ropes of sand. Ropes of sand. I don't think I need to say any more about that. All right, Genesis chapter 1. Hold your finger in Genesis chapter 1. The first two verses in the entire Bible. Amen? Run with me. We're going to travel into the future as fast as, I don't know, a spaceship. And we're going to go all the way to the end to Revelation chapter 22. What chapter? Revelation chapter 22. What are we doing? We're looking at the first chapter of the book of Genesis. We saw the Spirit of God present. Now we're going to the last chapter of the entire Bible, to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and we need to look for somebody. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, and when you're there, say amen. The Bible says in verse 17 of chapter 22, and the who? Ah, he looks familiar. We've seen him before, haven't we? And the Spirit, capital S, and the bride say, what do they say? And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Genesis chapter 1, who do we find? The Spirit of God, taking an active role in the creation of man. Revelation chapter 22, who do we find? The Spirit of God, taking an active role in the redemption of man. The Spirit of God is the one who gives the invitation after this presentation has been given, after this business plan has been presented to fallen humanity about the plan of salvation. Then he says, come. Any call porters here? Any literature evangelists here? No literature evangelists. Well, I know Maurice did literature evangelism. He's, he's hiding back there. He's being bashful. He was a, he's done literature evangelism, and every good literature evangelism knows, literature evangelist knows, that the most important part of your canvas is not the descriptions of the products, but rather it is the, Maurice, do you know? It is the clothes. Pastor knows. Pastor's canvas before. It is the clothes, the appeal, yeah? It's the hook. The clothes is the most important part. In Revelation chapter 22, the one that is in responsible for giving the clothes in the canvas of God. Amen? God is canvassing us every single day saying, will you let me into your hearts? I have several things that you may want to consider uh, buying from me. Revelation 3.18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, white raiment, that you may be clothed, and eye salve that you may see. Jesus is a door-to-door -door salesman. Amen? Be very careful how you treat those door-to-door -door, door -door salesmen. Jesus is one. Revelation chapter 22, the Holy Spirit is also actively involved. What are we saying? If 
Genesis chapter 1 presents the Spirit of God actively involved in the creation of man, and Revelation chapter 22 shows the Spirit of God actively involved in the redemption of man. What that must mean is that between Revelation 22 and Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God is very busy. Amen? The Spirit of God is not an addendum to Christian theology. The, Christ, the, the Christian theological framework, the Spirit of God, is an integral part. The Spirit of God, in, to, if the Spirit of God were a vehicle, he would not be leather, the leather interior. Amen? He would not be a spoiler. All those spoilers are kind of cool. They look really nice. He would be the engine. Amen? An engine is not something that is good to have. It's something that you have to have if you want to go from point A to point B. Although you could use a vehicle, whether it has leather interior or not, it doesn't necessarily affect the performance of the vehicle. You follow? Having a spoiler doesn't really affect the performance of the vehicle, except if you're drifting. But hopefully you're not drifting, amen? The Spirit of God is not a spoiler. The Spirit of God is not the leather interior. He is the engine. He is the one that should be the central, the nucleus of your life. From Genesis to Revelation, we find the Spirit of God actively involved in human affairs. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. But before we do so, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. As we're in Revelation and we're on our way back to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to make a little pit stop, okay? Because we need to get gas, okay? 2 Corinthians. It's a long trip from Revelation to Genesis. We must get enough gasoline. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and when you're there, please say amen. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Notice what the Bible says, for it is God, who? God, who commanded, what did he command? The light to do what? To shine, out of what? Darkness. When did God command the light to shine out of darkness? We read it a few minutes ago. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, said, let there be light, and there was light. So the Apostle Paul is making a reference to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Is, it, is that safe to say? God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. When did God command the light out of darkness? Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says that the earth was dark. God said, let there be light. Okay. So far, so good. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Get, get ready for this one. Who has shown where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness is the same God who speaks into your hearts and says, let there be light. Ladies and gentlemen, some of our homes this evening can use a little light. Amen? Amen. Some, of our, some of our marriages this evening could use a little light. Some of our iPods. Amen? All right. 
can use a little light. Some of us can use a little light. Not some of us. All of us can use a little light. Why is Paul making a reference to creation? This is why, ladies and gentlemen. Because there's something about the way God created the world that is an illustration of how he's going to save you and I. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember, we just went to 2 Corinthians to get gas. Remember that? Now we're going to go back on the highway and go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the introduction to the most amazing book, the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-2, it talks about the condition of the earth. Paul says, God who commanded the light out of darkness has also shown in our hearts. Maybe the condition of the earth in the book of Genesis is a symbol of the condition of our God who commanded the light out of darkness has also shined, it doesn't say in our shoes. He didn't give us a shoe shine, amen? Has shined where? Maybe our hearts and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 is kind of synonymous. Well, let's take a look at it. Verse 2. It begins to describe the condition of the earth. The earth was what? Without form. Anybody have the Reina Valera 1960 Bible? Nobody has. I kind of figured nobody would have it. If you read the Spanish Bible, I love the Spanish Bible sometimes because it, it kind of adds a little bit more flavor, right? The word without form is actually the word desordenado. Now, for those who don't speak the heavenly language, amen? Let us translate. What does desordenado mean? Sorry? Out of order. God bless you. Exactly. What, what's another word for out of order? Chaos. A mess. Is this describing my room? Oh, yeah. Is this describing my living room? I hope not. The earth was without form. The earth was desordenado. It was a mess. It was chaotic. Characteristic number one. Put that in, the, in, the, put that in your mind right now. Take a mental note. Characteristic number one of planet Earth before God began the creation magic, sorry for the lack of a better term, the Earth was in an out-of-order condition. Okay, what is the next characteristic that you find? The Earth was without form, it was a mess, it was chaotic, and it was also void. Wow. What is another word for void? It was empty. There was something missing. There was a vacuum. Two characteristics of planet Earth before God worked his magic. Number one, it was a mess. Number two, it was empty. Sound familiar? And characteristic number three, the Earth was without form. It was chaotic. It was a mess. It was void. It was empty. There was something missing. And there was what else? Darkness was on the face of the deep. Ladies and gentlemen, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 is giving us three characteristics of planet Earth before God did his work. Before God did his transformation power on planet Earth. And the three major characteristics that planet Earth had was number one, it was a mess, it was chaotic, 
Number two, it was empty, it was void, something was missing. And number three, there was darkness all over the place. Paul says, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 on this planet, is the same God who shines in our hearts. Why? Because the same three characteristics that Genesis chapter 1, 2 has in planet Earth is the same three characteristics of the heart of man in 2012 in San Jose. Every single person that you see walking the streets of San Jose has the three characteristics of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Number one, it is without form. It is chaotic. Has your life been chaotic? It is without form. It lies waste. It is a desolation. It is a desert. It is a wilderness. The heart of man by nature without the sweet influence of the Spirit of God is a mess. It is chaotic. Is your life a mess tonight? If it is, you came to the right place. Is your marriage just chaotic? You came to the right place. Is your entire pursuit in life without form? Then you're at the right place. Because we know somebody who can help you out. Void, empty, ruin, lacking, incomplete. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever found yourself missing something? I believe it was St. Augustine who said, there is a God-shaped void within the heart of man that only God can fill. When you look at humanity today, we are without form. Our lives are a mess. We are chaotic. We are empty. And the last characteristic is darkness, obscurity, not being able to see beyond the immediate situation. Does that sound familiar? You ever been in a situation where you wish you could see how the situation is going to be tomorrow, but you can't because it's just too dark and you have no hope and you have no optimism? Obscurity, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, night. But ladies and gentlemen, Genesis chapter 1 does not finish there. Genesis chapter 1 continues and it says, Then God said. Amen? Then God said. When your life is a mess, stop what you're doing. And listen to what God is about to say. Because when God speaks, something happens. When God speaks, the entire molecular structure and the entire uh, biological world and the atoms and the protons and the electrons and the neutrons, when God speaks, they stop and they hear what the Creator has to say. And they obey exactly what He says. So when you're looking at physical difficulties in your life, ladies and gentlemen, do not throw in the towel because there's somebody who, who orders these things. Maybe it's sickness. Some of you know that my father is, is struggling with cancer and it's rough. Sometimes you wonder, is there really hope? I always have to remind myself that God is the greatest physician that, every, that any person has ever met. And God has the power Amen? But sometimes our unbelief is what keeps God from being able to do what he wants to do. Three characteristics, without form, 
void, and there's darkness. If this somehow describes your life this evening, you came to the right place, and I encourage you to keep coming. Because the same solution that God brought in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, he wants to bring to your life tonight. If your life is without form, if your life is a mess, if your life is chaotic, if your life is empty, there's something missing. You just, you're not quite sure what it is. If your life is full of darkness, then notice what it is that God first did to solve this issue. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And somebody was there because they were there. Why? Because they have the unique ability of turning things that are ugly into things that are beautiful. And who is that person? The Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest beautician that has ever lived is the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God could turn a heart that is so ugly and could transform it into a beautiful character. The Spirit of God is the active agent in the book of Genesis that is, has the power and has the capability of changing somebody's life that is dark, that is empty, and that is a mess into something that, notice what verse 31 says. From verse 3 onward, what God is doing is an operation. Amen? But we don't have time to look at all of the intricate details of the operation, so I encourage you this week to read Genesis chapter 1 when you get home. Genesis chapter 1 is an operation that God is doing. Why? Because he's trying to solve the issue of this ugly environment. But notice what the conclusion. When God's power is involved. In verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was something happened. From verse 2 to verse 31. Amen? Because in verse 2, it wasn't very good. In verse 2, it was dark. In verse 2, it was void. In verse 2, it was a mess. But when the Spirit of God came, something happened. And the outcome was it was very good. Ladies and gentlemen, if your marriage right now is dark, void, and a mess, allow the Spirit of God to take control because he can turn your marriage into a mess, into something that is very good. Maybe you're struggling with addictions. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you have anxiety and you toss and turn and you can't sleep at night. Ladies and gentlemen, allow the Spirit of God access into your hearts. Because the same God who called light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1, according to the Apostle Paul, we're just quoting, is the same God that can cause our hearts to shine. And notice the, sh the light doesn't come from within. It comes from without. It simply comes inside the portals of a dark soul. I want to invite you to go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is actually my favorite, uh, one of my favorite writers, actually, in the entire Bible. Isaiah, and we're going to take a look at verse 43. Because if the Holy Spirit is in the beginning of the Bible, and the Holy Spirit is the one that sets the tone and brings improvement and brings change and brings transformation and brings, here's the next word, resolution, uh, and does it in a very successful manner, well, then maybe we need the Holy Spirit right now as we begin this new year. Amen? In 2012, maybe that's what we need is the Holy Spirit. 
Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah 43. Kind of an unusual passage. Beginning in verse 14. Isaiah 43 and verse 14 says, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall not lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Kind of a weird passage. In verse 15, God is introducing himself as the Lord, the Holy One, the Creator, and the King. In verse 16 and 17, he's reminding his people some of the stuff that he's done in the past. And according to verse 16 and 17, what are some of the things that he says? What historical event do you think he's bringing to the attention of Israel? What is he reminding them of? The, I heard it over here. The Red Sea deliverance, right? I am the one who makes a way in the sea. Well, what sea is that? It's the Red Sea. So God is reminding the children of Israel the mighty works that he did in the book of Exodus. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there is a long period of time between the Red Sea and the ministry of Isaiah. Okay? There's a long period of time. Exodus is way back in the days with Moses. Now Isaiah is here, and he's the voice person for, for God, and he's speaking on behalf of God, and he's reminding the children of Israel of that great and wonderful thing that God did way back when. Now notice how the verse continues. It's kind of a little disturbing. Verse 18, do not remember the former things. What? Does your Bible say the same thing? Or is this a typo? Do not remember the former things, God says, nor consider the things of old. In other words, is the Red Sea experience something powerful and something amazing? Yes or no? Absolutely. Have you seen the Prince of Egypt, ladies and gentlemen? That was pretty amazing. Amen? Maybe you haven't seen it. You should check it out. It's pretty cool. But of course, the, the Exodus account is far better. But if you need help in imagining Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, wow, that is awesome stuff. Why in the world is God telling his people, do not remember the former things? He brings it to their attention, and then he says, forget it. What does that mean? Thank you, brother. I think we're, we may be the only two that are asking this question. Hopefully everybody else is. I'm confused right now. Ladies and gentlemen, keep reading. In verse 40, 18, he says, Do not remember the former things, as wonderful and awesome as the Red Sea deliverance is, as wonderful as it is that I caused manna to come down from the sky, as wonderful as it was that I was able to quench the thirst of thousands of Israelites from a rock. That's, that's something kind of cool to remember, amen? amen? That will hopefully give you faith. He says, don't remember. Why? Verse 18, behold, I'm going to do something new. That's the answer. He says, behold, I am going to do something new. What was the problem with Israel? Israel was so caught up in the past. I was saved in 1977. You ever heard that before? No disrespect, amen? And don't misunderstand. 
the Bible is not saying that we shouldn't remember the great, wonderful, golden chapters of our salvation history. The Bible is not saying that. What it's saying is that sometimes we get so caught up in 1978, where we were on fire for the Lord, and God was so there. But then 1979, things changed. From 1979 to 2012, things changed. And we're, so, we're still stuck in 1978, ladies and gentlemen. And God says, listen, hallelujah for what I did for you in 1977. But if you keep living in the past, you will never be able to live to the fullest in the here and now. You're missing out on an amazing life today because you're so caught up in what happened in the past. He says, do not remember the former things. In other words, what is he saying? Translation, move on. Amen? Because the idea with our Christian experience is that, yes, when we come to Christ, it's exciting. We have powerful experience. But every step that you take closer and closer towards the kingdom of God should be more exciting and more exciting. Wow! Oh, this is exciting. Does it get any better than this? It does. I can't believe it. When does it stop? It never stops, ladies and gentlemen. And once we get into eternity, that's a whole other ball of wax. Amen? That's what eternity is. It just keeps getting better and better. Can I fully understand it? No. Why? Because my brain is very small. I can't figure it out. But the, the Christian walk gets better and better. Now, I'm not saying it's rosy and there's, there isn't trials and tribulations. There is. There is trials and tribulations. But when we're following Christ, not only are there new challenges, not only are there new difficulties, but there are new victories and there are new blessings. We will never get a hold of these new blessings and new victories if we're still stuck in 1982 or in 1977. Hallelujah for what God did for you in 1977. Hallelujah for what God did to you in 1982. But what is God going to do for you in 2012? He tells you this in the first month of this new year. He says, hallelujah for the Red Sea deliverance that you have in your experience. But don't stay there. Move on. I'm not finished with you. I'm still writing an amazing story. And I don't want you to miss the amazing experiences that I want you to experience. And many of our brothers and sisters, many of us, in our experience with Christ, we miss out on the most amazing things in the world. Any sports fans here? Okay, there's several of us here. I'm a big sports fan. I think, I think, I think more of the fellas, I think, raise their hands. <laughs> fellas. You ever watch a game, or ladies too, I, I, maybe there's some ladies that are also fans, sorry. You ever watch a game and you're like, and it's just, it's right there, it's just heated, it's like, wow, and you got to go to the bathroom. You guys know what I'm talking about? And you're like, man, I really don't want to go to the bathroom, I really want to watch this game. You know, so you're, you're, you're between a rock and a hard place, right? <laughs> what do you do? You're looking at the clock, and no, it's going to take a lot longer before halftime. What do you do before this quarter ends? I, I don't know if I get, so what do you do? You wait for kind of like a dead spot. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right at the end of the play, what do you do? You run to the bathroom. And then as soon as you come out, as soon as you open the door, everybody in the living room is celebrating. Yes, touchdown. And you're like, no. What happened? Am I the only one that has experienced this before? Thank you. Somebody else also has experienced this. You just missed it. 
And ladies and gentlemen, instant replay does not cut it. Instant replay is cool, okay? I like instant replay, but there's nothing like seeing it live. ESPN is all right. They give you the highlights, but it's not the same. It is not the same. And I think that in our Christian experience, spiritually speaking, the spiritual touchdowns that God wants to score in your life, we miss out on. Why? Because we're so in our own little world, we're so out of frequency, and we're so caught up in the past that we're not in tune with the touchdowns. God, every day, he's trying to make a play. Amen? Amen. He says, go far. Go far. And we're just kind of hanging out. We're walking like this after he says, hike. Amen? It's no wonder we're not excited as Christians. It's no wonder these doors are not being kicked through for people saying, wow, there's just something amazing that... that we hear about you guys. What is it about you guys? Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to do something exciting for you this year. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open to what he's going to say. If your life is full of darkness now, you're in the right place. Don't give up on yourself. Amen? God doesn't give up on you. If your life is a mess, if you're here seated tonight, you're like, man, preacher, you don't have a clue what I'm all about. I don't need to know what you're all about. Amen? Because if that is your condition, guess what? You qualify. You qualify for the possibility of transformation. Okay? There isn't a case too complex or too insane or out of order that God cannot solve. God says, give my spirit a chance to do the work of transformation that you cannot do yourself. Because usually our psyche says, let me fix up my life. So I can go to God so that he can fix up my life. Does anybody see a problem with this? And what happens is that we never go to God. Because we, from our own strength, can never fully fix up our lives. God wants access into your life, into your world. By the way, the heart of man is a universe. All of us, I mean, all of us sitting here is a different world. Once you enter the mind, the, the mind of one person is a universe. God wants access to this universe. There are asteroids in your life going insane. Amen? There are things going out of orbit. And I love what Pastor said before his special music. If you look outside, you see the sun is in its place. Then that means that God is still in control. And if he can keep these big balls of fire in order, then he could keep the little apparently crazy stuff going on in your life that you think are giant galaxies when really they're small things in your experience. Isaiah 43 tells us something very, very simple. It tells us, forget about the past. Move on. Move on. Yes, there are glorious things in the past, but many times we, maybe it's not the past of the, it's not the glorious things of the past that keeps you from experiencing the present. Maybe it's all the failures in your life. Amen? Maybe it's all the times you fail to score that touchdown in your spiritual life and you're constantly walking, dragging your feet. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to move on because we're going to miss out on the glorious plays that Jesus, our quarterback, amen? amen. He's, he's, he's looking for people that are open. <laughs> and many of us are not open. Why? Because we're just looking at the wrong place. As a, in, a, in football, why, why am I getting into football all of a sudden? This is not in my nose, by the way. I don't know where this football thing is coming from. Probably because Super Bowl is, you know. As soon as the quarterback says hike, the wide receiver, the running back, all of these guys are running. They're trying to get open. And immediately they look to the quarterback, and they have to make sure that they have the right eye contact, right? 
Because if not, they're not really going to, the quarterback doesn't really know if they're ready for the ball, and it, it could be a mess. And I think that's the experience that we have in our Christian lives, is that Jesus says, hike. And we don't, we don't even look at him. And he's looking for us to, and he throws the ball at us, and we're just so in our own world that it goes over our heads. And we're right in the end zone. He's like, listen, man, we're right there, just a few more yards. And for whatever reason, we miss out on this awesome play. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants you to keep your eyes open, to keep your ears open. Why? Because remember, the Spirit of God is actively involved in Genesis chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 22. We, today, 2012, is between those two chapters. Amen? Amen. Revelation, we're not, even, we're not even in Revelation 20 yet. Amen? Amen? We're not even in Revelation 19 yet. What does that mean? That means that the same Spirit of God who is actively involved in the creation of the world in Genesis chapter 1 and actively involved in the redemption of the world in Revelation chapter 22 is the same Holy Spirit that's actively involved in San Jose trying to restore homes, trying to restore people's lives, trying to shatter the chains of addictions that we have, trying to bring back the dignity that we lose, trying to give us optimism, trying to give us light, letting us see beyond our apparent failures trying to get our houses back in order, our lives back in order, our resolutions back in order, our friendships back in order. The same God that's trying to fill us. Fill me, our earnest plea, amen? Fill me. The first need in Genesis chapter 1-2 is void, empty. You can never come to, your knee, to the point where you fall on your knees and you say, fill me, our earnest plea, if you don't accept that you're empty. If you don't accept that you're void, why in the world would you go and want to be filled. Good friend of mine, San Francisco, raised in San Francisco, living a life of complete darkness, had a traumatic experience as a child, actively involved in the gay rights community using drugs, living a life of complete unhappiness, complete emptiness, wondering if, if it's even worth waking up the next day. In a, in, in a condition where no church will accept you because of your different orientation. In a situation where it seems like there is no resolution, there is no possibility of change. Many times, the thought of suicide, she flirted with. And today, ladies and gentlemen, this same young girl, who was at the point of taking her life, actively involved in the gay rights community, involved in homosexuality, involved in a life of darkness, confused, empty, her life was a mess. She was able to meet Jesus. And when she met Jesus, God brought light to her darkness. When she met Jesus, God was able to fill the void. And when she met Jesus, God was able to bring back in order her life that was out of order. And today she is all over California sharing her testimony, preaching the gospel. She was baptized, 
and she's reaching many, many people. Her name is Verna Santos. Many of you know her. She spoke at camp meeting, and she spoke at our youth tent, and she's spoken at many of our churches. Verna Santo is a product of the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. No human being could have put that together. That is a work of God. My good friend Matt Parra, born and raised in a Christian home, in a nominal Christian home, should I say, in a nominal Seventh-day Adventist Christian home, might I add. Grew up in a home, Laodicean Christian home, Laodicean Adventist home, Teenage years, got involved in drugs. By the time he graduated from high school, he was a drug dealer. He was going all over the streets of Orlando, Florida, making deals in very, very sketchy deals where things could go wrong and your life could be taken. His mother, praying day and night for Matt Parra, didn't know what was going to happen with her son. Every time she would cry herself, to sleep because she didn't know where her son was going to be the next morning. Finally, there was a young guy who was coming to town with a group of other young guys doing an evangelistic meeting, and they were setting up a tent in the middle of the city. The mother says, this is my opportunity to reach out to my son. And he says, son, I want you to come, and I want you to hear this young guy. This young guy is amazing. And Matt Parr is thinking, is there alcohol? Are there girls there? Is there music there that has a beat to it? If not, I'm not interested. Amen? But never underestimate, you're a mother here tonight, never underestimate the power of persuasion that God has given you. Amen? I don't know who or what happened or what, how she was able to convince her son. Her son came. Her son came to the, one of the first nights of the evangelistic meeting in his truck. In his trunk, he had a box full of pills. Immediately after the evangelistic meeting, he was going to go from the evangelistic meeting to make another deal and deal more drugs. But ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit had a different plan. Matt Power goes into this meeting. He's thinking, what in the world am I doing here? I'm just doing this, doing this for mom. The evangelist was a young guy, kind of a firecracker preacher. His name is David Ashrick. Some of you may have heard of him. And David was preaching the word, and the Spirit of God just came down and just took control of every heart. And at the end, you know the most uncomfortable part of a sermon? When you're in the seat and it's like, oh, no, he's going to do it. The preacher's going to do it. He's going to make that invitation. He's going to make that altar call. Please, Lord, shut his mouth. You guys know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm sure Matt was praying that prayer, and the Lord did not answer that prayer. Amen. And the evangelist was making an appeal. He says, if you recognize your need to change, I invite you to come forward. And Matt Parra had never experienced tension so hard in his entire life than this evening. He felt like something was pushing his shoulders down. Don't get up. It was wrestling. It's almost as if there was a pause button. Everything went dark, and there was a spotlight only on him. And the only, the only thing, the next thought that came into his mind was this. It was a question, and I believe it was God speaking to him. And the question was, Matt, don't you want to be clean just for one moment? 
Don't you want to just make one decision, just one decision right? Just one. Just for one day, just make one decision right in your life. And Matt said, yes, I do. And there was a weight off of his shoulders. And Matt found himself standing up. He was thinking, what in the world am I doing? And somehow he found himself walking down. Mind you, there's 500 people in this tent. And as soon as he got up, there was a loud amen, hallelujah, and he started walking down. Halfway down from his chair to the altar, he started to cry. He's thinking, what in the world am I crying for? What is this? What's going on? And he goes to the front, and he experiences something that he's never experienced before. And from that day onward, his life was changed. And that young man, Matt Parra, has traveled all over the world and has reached thousands of young people, no exaggeration, to the Lord Jesus. He went from a drug dealer, a drug addict, to a preacher of the gospel. And he, by the way, he's just been called to serve in the Australian division as the evangelism coordinator. And he's leaving in a few days, actually, to serve the Seventh-day Adventist Church as one of the leaders of evangelism in Australia. Ladies and gentlemen, if God was able to change Matt Parra's life, which, by the way, was without form, was void, and was full of darkness. He was a write-off. How many pastors visited Matt and said to his mother, just keep praying for him? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's certain cases like, ooh, what army is going to save this individual? And sometimes we write people off, but God never writes people off. God never writes people off. Matt had the three characteristics of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, but God didn't write him off. He said, you know what? I could use this guy. I can use this guy. And today, he's going to be serving in Australia as one of the youth evangelists. Ladies and gentlemen, don't ever give up on yourself. Don't ever set yourself up for failure. And don't ever believe in the lies of Satan, that you are worthless and that God can't use you, because that is an absolute lie. My good friend, Herman, and I'll close with this story. Herman, born and raised in a solid Seventh-day Adventist home. Parents going to church Every single Sabbath, every Wednesday, every Friday night, you name it. San Jose, here in San Jose. Not this church, but the Spanish church. But something happened, teenage years, the adolescent years, he started hanging out with the wrong crowd. He started buying into the lie of gangs. Amen? He started buying into the lie that if you join our gang, we're going to protect you. How many young people have experienced that and realized that there was no protection? You're under protection if you're told what to do, but if you have your own opinion, guess what? There goes your protection. Amen? He joined this gang. He joined this gang. And let's just say that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And something went down. And I actually can't even get into the details because there's still stuff going on. But there was, somebody's life was taken. And that's all I'll say. This was years ago. And somehow this, this startled my friend. He's like, what do I do? I can't believe this. I have, to, I have to change. But he couldn't change. He could not change. It was kind of like a big just spider web. Just kept him in there. There was no exit. No way out. But then he had a child. He had a little girl. And when he looked into that little girl's face, he says, what in the world am I doing? How in the world could I continue living like this? 
And ladies and gentlemen, from that day onward, he decided to take a different route. But sadly, although God is forgiving, sometimes it doesn't work that way in law enforcement. Somehow, even though that incident happened years ago, it caught up to him. There was somebody who was, his name was dropped. All the authorities came. They came to his house, surrounded his house, said, we're looking for, we're looking for so-and-so. They found him, they arrested him, and they took him to jail. And he's saying, what in the world? I just started going to church. I just started, I was just going to start getting involved with Sabbath school. I, Lord, what's going on? I don't understand. I, I take a first step and, and you do this to me? What's going on? My good friend, Herman, today is in the San Jose jail, jailhouse. And when I went to go visit him, I said, Herman, how are you doing? And he says, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of confused. And I said, so what's going on? Well, we have court hearings, and, and they're, they're, keeping, they're, they're pushing back my trial date. And he says, Jay, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. I'm innocent. And I said, well, Herman, don't forget that you have, a, you have a special lawyer in this case. His name is Jesus. He's our advocate. He's our defender. I prayed with him. The next week I came back, and Herman was a new man. I don't know what happened to Herman, but he was a new man. He came in, he sat down to the window. We did our little thing, you know, little greet. You know, you know how you do the little greet thingy? So we sit down, he gets the phone, and then he looks around, and he gets, pulls in, and he gets a stack of papers out. What is he doing? And he's looking around, making sure the guards don't see him. It's like this. And I'm getting nervous. I'm like, is, are we, sh should, we not be doing, should we not do this? <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble with this thing. I was like, what do you got there, Herman? And he says, Pastor, ever since we talked and we prayed, I've just been really feeling the presence of God inside here. And I've been reading the Bible nonstop, he says. And, and I'm like, what is all this? He's like, this is a sermon that I just finished writing. I'm like, Herman, you're writing sermons in here? He's like, yes. And I wanted to read it to you to see what you think. I'm like, okay. And he read me his sermon. And it was full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Bible. And he says, Jay, I'm going through the experience of Joseph. He was in prison in Egypt, but God came through, through to him. And at the end of that dark tunnel, there was light. And he says, you know what, Jay? I'm not the first one to be in this way. Paul was in prison as well. Joseph was in prison as well. All of God's people were in prison as well. So why am I complaining? And I said, that's true, Herman. Why, why are you complaining? And I thought to myself, wow. At the end of our visit, I'm like, I came here to bring illumination and bring encouragement and to inspire you and to motivate you because I'm the pastor. That's what the pastor is supposed to do, right? I'm like, Herman, you fully have inspired me. You have motivated me. I was like, Herman, can we talk to the guard? Is there, I mean, do you need a, do you need a roommate in there? Because I get you, I don't know what's going on in there, but I want, I want to experience where you're going. I need some illumination in my life, brother. And ladies and gentlemen, this was a year ago, and he's still inside, and the trial is still being pushed back.
But God was able to take a life that was an apparent failure, that was going to come up to basically do nothing uh, good in his life, and God is changing it. And we have no idea what's going to happen. The mother is praying like crazy. I think he's going to have his court hearing in February. And this charge, of course, has significant implications. And he's willing. He knows that he's not sure how he's going to react. But he knows that God is in control. My point. If God was able to use this young man to reach out and touch people inside, who was at the wrong place at the wrong time, who was constantly looking over his shoulder, wondering if there was the other clique around, if you know what I mean. Or even his own people, because you never know. If you do something wrong, all of a sudden you're, you're you know, the, you're, the target is on you. And all of a sudden, everything turned around. And God is giving him meaning, giving him purpose. And he tells me, as he's talking on the phone, through the window, and he says, Pastor, some of us are just so hard-headed, is what he tells me. That God has to smack him upside the head to get our attention. And he says, I believe this is the way that God is smacking me upside of the head. And he said, honestly, I'm happy I'm inside. Because I'm doing a lot better in here than I would be doing out there. Amen? What's my point? If you've forgotten my entire message, don't forget this. The Spirit of God is a professional at taking a life that is empty, a life that is full of darkness, and a life that is messy, and changing it to become something that is very good. He did this in planet Earth 6,000 years ago, and he's been doing this in the hearts of man since day one. And ladies and gentlemen, he's only getting better at this. So if your life tonight is a mess, you're in the right place. If your life tonight is full of darkness, you are in the right place. And if you are empty tonight, you are in the right place. I want to make an appeal tonight. Maybe tonight you recognize that this message fully describes your current condition and you like the sound of, of change. You like the whole concept of change and you like the story of Verna and Matt Parra and, and Hermann and you're like, man, can I throw my name in that list? Can I throw my experience in that list? Can I be one of those who go from here to there? And the answer to that is yes. As long as you are willing to allow God in your life. Amen? If you would like to say, Lord, I would like to add my name in that list. I would like the same work that you have done in these three cases that you do also in my life. I ask you to stand where you are to your feet. We're going to have special prayer. Amen? The reason why we come to church. Amen? It's not only to come and hear the beautiful words, amen, but it's to take action. Because only when we take act, only when we open our hearts and we reach out to the to the hand that is extended, then and only